дорогие братья и сестры. Мы очень рады, что вы быть с вами. Христос воскрес. Сегодня воскресенье Пахи. I'm sure on my calendar it said May 5th is Easter Sunday. No? Well, why did I think today was Easter? It's Easter in Ukraine. Oh, it's Easter in Ukraine. Just so you don't know, I just wanted to throw a cultural tidbit out there. Uh, half of your brothers and sisters around the world that are, ce- that are um, celebrating the church calendar through the Orthodox calendar, they celebrate Easter this morning on May 5th. Why, you may ask? Well, it's quite technical, but thousands of years ago, uh, the Julian calendar was developed uh, by the church, and then hundreds of years later, they realized that it was off by a few minutes, and so they they reformed the calendar. Um, But then from there, uh, the Western world went one way, and other parts of the world stayed to to the old calendar, um, and that's why we have that. So... From, um, I would like to just remember as we speak today um, that for us and for the brothers and sisters that we've been working with in Ukraine, in Russia, and those on the, in the other side of the world are celebrating Easter this morning. And you guys uh, got a chance to celebrate it many weeks ago, and, um, but for us, we didn't. So uh, this is my Easter service. So... Christos Voskres, Christ is risen. Okay. <laughs> If you do not know who we are, my name is Joseph, Joey or Joe. And this is my beautiful wife, Rhee. And many of you may know Rhee. She grew up here in John Day. Uh, I grew up in the uh, small town of Seattle, Washington. And, um, but we... We will talk about that later. I also want to introduce the newest addition uh, to our family, uh, who is here hiding. Um, and and, and we, we don't know if it's a boy or girl yet, just to get that out. But we do have a name for it, and we call, we, we call him or her uh, Kopech. And that, me, that word, kopek, comes from the, the Russian or Ukrainian word kopek, which is the type of currency very similar to a penny. And when I was at the, the doctor's office looking at the ultrasound for the first time um, and, and get to see the glimpse of fatherhood for the first time, and, and it wasn't even a, a, it was just a dot of a beating heartbeat, um, the word that came to my head was, that's a kopek. The smallest cent, and yet it means so much to me. So we're here with Kopik, and we are also here with Missions Monkey. Missions Monkey. So this is Missions Monkey, and he is our chronicler, or storyteller, and today he wants to share something with the children. So Brad may not have called him up, but I am going to. You guys can come on up here. I think there's space over here. We can all get together. Missions Monkey is very shy. And he doesn't like to talk in public. So you have to come close. 
And we'll talk over here. Right here. Here, on the floor, wherever is easiest. You guys are going to sit this way. This will be fun. You guys do that. Okay. So how are you today? Good. Okay. So Missions Monkey, what do you want to tell people? Missions Monkey wants to know if you know what culture is. No. Culture is how you view the world. Right, monkey? Right. Okay. So, do you have any examples of culture, monkey? He says language. Okay, so language. What language do you speak? American? <laughs> what is it? English. English is correct. Do you get, any of you speak any other languages? Spanish, yeah, I know a couple words. Korean, ooh, I'm gonna say Apparently not. <laughs> so, what language do um, they speak in Ukraine, monkey? They speak Ukrainian and Russian. So they speak two languages, everyone. It's crazy, huh? What's another example, monkey? Food. What is your favorite food? What's your favorite food? Pizza? That's my favorite food too. Banana? Mm. <laughs> I, of course, ice cream. What's your favorite food, monkey? Varenicky? What's that? Does anybody know what that is? Varenicky? <laughs> There's a picture right back there. Do you see those? They are dumplings. And they have potatoes and meat in them. And in Ukraine, they eat that. And it's one of the favorite foods of children. Does it sound good? Yeah? <laughs> good. OK, what's another example? Monkey culture. Transportation. How did you guys get to church today? How did you get to church today? In a car? How did you get here? A car? You walked? How'd you get to church? You walked. You walked. Exactly. Well, in Ukraine, we take public transportation and we walk. So everybody walks to church on Sunday. What do you think about that? No? How far away do you? How far away does Monkey live from church? He lives 45 minutes away from church. That's a long way, Monkey. So he has to take the metro, and then he walks 15 more minutes to get to church. The metro, it's a subway. It's a train underground. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, huh? So what do you think about walking to work church? Do you like that idea? You do like it? Some of you don't like it? Well, culture shock is that feeling of either really liking something or really not liking something that's different from you. And you, sometimes culture shock is not fun. So if you had to eat nothing but burrinky all day, would you like that? No. <laughs> of course not. So culture shock is when you have, to, you have to adjust to it. And Monkey, he moved to Ukraine, and he had to learn to adjust to Ukraine. 
to a new language, a new culture, and yeah, the walk, right? Um, so even though it's a different situation and we have to adjust to it, it's not bad. And you know, different cultures do different things in different ways, and it's not wrong, it's just different. Because people are still people here and in Ukraine. And God loves them, just like he loves you. And because of this, God sends people like Monkey and me, and maybe even you someday, to go be missionaries and to tell people about his love. What do you think about that? Do any of you feel a call to be a missionary? Yeah? You need to tell Marla. Tell Marla. She wants to hear about that. She does. And um, in just a little bit, Joseph is going to come and tell some stories about how we experience culture shock in Ukraine. But we have, Catlin has some activity sheets for you, and you can take those back to your seat. And if you fill them out and bring them back to me, I have a little gift right here for you afterwards. It has a little Ukrainian kopeck, a little coin, and a piece of candy. So go get this with Catlin. Excuse me. My on culture show. Hello. Introducing ourselves again, again, uh, well, you, I already said our names, Joey, Joseph Joe, and Ree. But our story doesn't begin this year. It begins many years ago while we were both attending Northwest Nazarene University. Now, of course, that was a, a typical Nazarene story where um, two college-age students go to the same college and they fall in love and boy meets girl, then girl denies boy first date, and then boy keeps asking for more dates, and girl files a restraining order. Or, oh wait, that's a different story. Um, but it was there at Northwest Nazarene University where Ree and I uh, started hanging out as friends, and uh, what drew us together was our desire to serve the Lord overseas. Uh, we we both felt a call to go into ministry and we really wanted to do that cross-culturally in another culture. And as we uh, courted or dated or however they say it nowadays, uh, we, we grew closer together as we grew closer to pursuing the Lord in that goal. So not even 20 days after we graduated, uh, Ree and I got married and she took upon herself my last name. Uh, which is much shorter than Armstrong and much more Japanese. And we had mo- we moved to Kansas City, Missouri, to go to Nazarene Theological Seminary uh, to get more theological education. That was ju- it was a rocky time for us during that year because the school was going through a transition. The economy was really poor in Kansas City. And so we um, kind of put that on hold and took a different route and 
pursued teaching English as a second language in South Korea for a year. Well, again, in South Korea, um, things didn't turn out necessarily how we'd like to do it. Um, apparently, Ri is really allergic to Korean food, and um, we had to come back from Korea six months early. Otherwise, I would have to go through the whole courting dating thing, and I didn't want to do that. So um, we came back, and we moved back to Meridian, Idaho. And there we were stumped because we wanted to go into ministry and we knew that we had a calling, but we didn't know why we had all of a sudden come back to Idaho. And all of our previous attempts to, to go to school or to gain overseas experience just seemed to fail. And so we prayed. We prayed that the Lord would open up a door. And we prayed for the first month and the second month and the third month. Unfortunately, we only had to wait about six months. And then our friend, Linda Russell, a missionary from Russia, was visiting the Treasure Valley. And we visited a church that she was attending because we wanted to give her some moral support. And we snuck into that church and sat somewhere on the left side in the back and, lin and listened to Linda as she was giving her sermon just like I'm giving mine now. And in the middle of her sermon, she stops as if, as if almost she wanted to, to say something that had nothing else to do with her sermon. But she said, you know, I have a prayer request. There's a couple who is leaving the mission field in the CIS area of the world. And that, that it's important that that couple... Um, be somehow replaced because they're doing a, an important job, especially with finances and keeping all the money on that field um, accountable and, and keep it on track, etc. And as I heard that prayer request, I felt as if almost the Lord was speaking directly to me, saying, Joey, this is what I have called you to do. This is what you've been praying about. And not only was it a job in, in cross-cultural ministry, but it was a job that needed money skills. And my wife just happened to graduate from NNU with an accounting and finance degree. And we immediately knew that the Lord was opening some doors, and so we continued to pray about it, and we began to dialogue with Linda and other missionaries. And a few months later, we were requested by the Eurasia Euro region and our field to come to Ukraine and be Mission Corps missionaries, uh, serving Ukraine and the countries of the CIS um, and, and we were excited. The only problem I had is I didn't quite know where Ukraine was. And I know many of you ha have been to Ukraine, and I know, I know there's a close tie with the Skinners, um, but I myself had never been, and I could kind of look around if he spent some time on the globe, but I didn't know where it was, and so we had to do some research. And I went online and I looked up the CIS field and this is what I, I got. This blue area represents 
the, the land area that we are responsible um, while we're in, living in Ukraine. So not only we just live in Ukraine, but we're responsible for the, that entire blue area of the world. That is the CIS field. After the Soviet Union fell apart, a couple of the countries got together and they wanted to maintain some kind of close or semi-close political identity. So they created something called the Commonwealth of Independent States, and, or for short, the CIS. And from that term, the Church of the Nazarene said, okay, then that's going to be called the CIS field. And um, some of those countries don't even belong in the political CIS, but um, that's just the term we use. And um, it's easy, to comes right off the tongue. CIS, CIS. And in Russia, it's even better. SNG, SNG. So anyway, um, this, is, this is, we're responsible for the blue area. This closer is where we are. We are from Kiev, Ukraine. If you can't see it, it's in this orange country, it's Ukraine. And Kiev is right here. Let me show it for you guys on my right. This orange country and Kiev is right there. And um, we are about a 21-hour train ride from Moscow. Um, I, I really don't know what that means in American terms. 21 hours away from Moscow. It's probably about a three-hour flight. Um, we um, are about four, how many hours away from Ostanon in Kazakhstan? long way? Three days. I think it would take three days to travel from Kiev to, um, to Ostanon, which is over here in, in Kazakhstan. So that, I don't know if that helps you at all. But this is where we live, in Kiev. And um, when we got to Kiev, one of the, the first things that they want us to do for our first year was to study the language and, and get down and, and uh, learn how to speak Russian. Well, one of the problems is that instantly when you come to Kiev, if you try to learn the Russian alphabet, as I tried to do coming down, you will notice that there are letters on the walls in, in the businesses in Kiev that do not respond to the, that I learned. I didn't learn that in the Russian alphabet. And so then I quickly learned that Kiev not only speaks Russian, but they speak Ukrainian, which is probably about as different as English is from Spanish. And they have different letters than Russians do. So, so as we're learning to speak Russian, which a large major majority of people do in Ukraine, everything written, everything in the store and all the products are written in Ukrainian. So we're learning two languages simultaneously. Um, we take lessons for one, and the other we kind of get through osmosis. But for me, that was a major, that was an uncomfortable culture shock because I had no idea um, what to expect from a two-language culture. I had never even been in a culture that really was bilingual. Um, we're on church on Sunday. We would sing Russian on one song and switch and sing in Ukrainian on another without even blinking an eye. This is some examples of some of the food that we were introduced early on. 
Um, I have to admit, these pictures were taken at kids' camp, so they are much more delicious than they may appear. Um, but my first breakfast at kids' camp was this dish on the bottom left hand of noodles and a hot dog, um, which is a very common breakfast over there. And then the other one is liver. It's, it's burnt liver with um, buckwheat. And, and I learned to love buckwheat, um, but I still cannot eat burnt liver. Um, and, and that, again, is a culture shock. Another culture shock that we had to learn when we were in Ukraine was learning how to stand in lines. Every month we have to pay our bills. And um, online bill pay is not as much as a luxury as it is here. And we have to go and stand in lines to pay our bills. We have to go and stand in lines to um, get our paperwork done for our, our residency. And it was actually the first day we were there. Our very first day, we went to stand in line for a tax service. And what happened is there was a group of people, I would say about 15 people, and there was a door. And on the other side of the door was a lady who was giving out the tax ID numbers. But there was 15 people, and they were just huddled in a circle. Or not a circle, like a bunch. And so I promptly, in my American way, just walked up behind the girl who was at the end, and I stood there. And I stood there. And I stood there. And about 15 minutes later, Re got up from the chair and went over to me and said, you're not moving. And people are going in the door. And it took me about four months, I would say. Four months to learn how to really stand in a Ukrainian line. What you do in Ukraine as you come up to wherever you need to go, whether the bank or anywhere else, and you go up and you say, who's last? And then someone raises their hand, I am. Or someone goes, that gentleman is. And then it is my job to remember that person's face, and no matter what, wherever they go, I will follow them. And then if someone else comes up and says, I'd say, yeah, I am. And then they would follow me. But that gentleman, I mean, he could go out for a smoke and come back in. He could go to the bathroom, and I just got to watch him. Because the moment he comes out of that door that I want to go in, I, that's, I'm running. But that's how they work. I mean, there's no standing in line like we were taught in kindergarten to do. Um, it's a very loose feel. I mean, after you get it, it's easy. But it took us about four months to understand what that was. And that was culture shock. Do any of you know what this is called? Bus. Bus. In, uh, in Ukraine, in Russia, in Armenia, and all over, they call this a marshutka, which in Russian is short for marshutni um, taxi. Which is short, which it translates as route taxi. But in English, we don't really have this because we don't have this in America. We have buses in America, um, but this is more like, um, say, for example, if Pastor wanted to gain some extra money and he, wa he needed to find a job, what he would do is he would somehow acquire himself a bus that could fit 
or easily sit about uh, 15 people. And he would work with the government to find out a route to drive. And every day he would drive that route. And people would go up and pay, and they would get on and go. It's a privately owned uh, taxi that drives on a route. And that's why they call it a, a route taxi. Um, but these are difficult because they don't always stop at every bus stop. And the only you have to know where they're going, and before you get off, you have to say Nastunovki, which means at the next stop. Now imagine how many times I was like, blah 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 blah. Blah 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 blah. Because Nastunovki is very hard to say if you're not used to Russian. And that was very challenging to me. This is the inside of a marshrutka, of a typical one. And this is on a Sunday, so there's actually not many people on this marshrutka. And as you can see, the gentleman bending over, he's, he's paying the money. Uh, by honor system, you get on the marshrutka, and you uh, pay the fare, and then you just walk to your seat. Or if you get on in the back of the marshrutka, you actually go to the next person who's closer to you, to the area where they put the money, and you uh, give them your money, and you say, uh, please pass it on. Um, and then they will pass it on, and then they, if in some case you need change, they will pass back the change. And it's by the honor system. It's pretty crazy. Um, and, but the problem is, is public transportation reset everyone, uh, everyone walks to church. You guys remember that? That's what Monkey said? About two out of every ten people in Ukraine own a vehicle. Vehicle. Actually, less than that, probably. There are, um, for every two out of ten people, 20% of the people, that's how many cars in Ukraine per population ratio. So it doesn't mean, like, if someone owns three cars, then that means two extra people don't have a car. Does that make sense? So most people walk or use public transportation. So on a typical day, this is an actual picture of a bus on a typical day where you're just crowded up and you're just waiting and you pass your money like this, you know, and, and they pass it back. Well, but on a marshrutka, if it's busy, the person who's up front by the money, it becomes the, the cashier for the bus driver. And it's just the normal job that they do. Well, about six months living in Ukraine, guess who is up at the front on a busy day? That was me. And you know, no matter how Asian I am, or how good at math I may be, when you are receiving and giving out money in a different language, in a different currency, I felt like I was three years old. Because I just, I couldn't keep the Russian in my head, I couldn't keep the, the numbers in my head, I forgot how much the fare was, and so I'd giving out money, and I'd hear from one ear, is like, the driver saying, is there change with that? And I'm thinking, no, there is no change. And oh, yes, I gave the wrong person the wrong money. And so people are yelling at me from both sides. And that is culture shock. That is culture shock. I want to read from you to this morning's passage from 2 Corinthians. Um, you see... We don't go around fooling ourselves. 
We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ Jesus. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. This is the word of God. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to, to, to struggle in his ministry, and he faced death on a regular basis, and um, those who were there in the Sunday school this morning heard about some of the brothers and sisters that are even on the CIS field who live in creative access countries with the threat that they may selves be thrown into prison just because they meet together in a church of less than 50 adults. Or be because they may tell a stranger on the street, God bless you. And while Rhee and I are not necessarily in that danger ourselves in Ukraine, Paul's words just seem all too real to me. We don't go about preaching about ourselves. We're your missionaries. We're missionaries of the Church of the Nazarene, and and we're here to serve God's church through this denomination. And we are sent by you. And that's a huge honor and responsibility on our parts. And this, even though I, I know in my head, and I, it's not always easy to put this in my heart, because last year when I was speaking to you about going to Ukraine, I thought of all the, the huge possibilities of things that, that we, we could do in Ukraine. I'm educated. I'm uh, next week. I I have a master's. I graduate and I get a master's degree. I've been theologically trained. Um, I write well. I'm I'm handsome. Um, my wife is extremely talented in many ways, especially when it comes to money. She can do in 30 minutes what it takes many accountants all day to do. Okay, maybe not accountants. 30 minutes to do what people who are not accountants can do in a day. 
Um, she, she's smart and, and beautiful, and we were thinking of all the great things that, that we could do for God. Um, but at the same time, we know that we're not here to preach about ourselves. We wanted to use our skills um, to minister in Ukraine. But in all actuality, we are like clay jars. Fragile clay jars. Yesterday, Greg and I bought three of these, and most of them are already broken because these are pretty fragile. And Paul uses this terminology because we are fragile clay jars, but, but God's glory is inside of us. And this glory, this word that he uses, brings back the image in the Old Testament. Remember when Moses got to see the glimpse of God passing by and his face shone and he had to hide it? That is the glory of God. But Paul is talking about the glory of Jesus, which is greater, which is greater than what Moses could even attest to. This is the glory of God. And I'm going to use this light to represent this. This is the glory of God, and we are like clay jars. Letting the whole world see. And sometimes we decorate our clay jars. We'll draw things like husband, architect, or um, guitar player, um, good friend. We'll try to make ourselves so desirable just on our clay jar. We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. But God's glory does not shine if we keep our clay jars intact. God's glory does not sh- is not shown to the world if we do not if we keep ourselves intact. And we try to, to, to create our own comfort in our own shell. And in Ukraine, I learned what Paul was talking about. Because when you're pressed on every side, there's nothing else to hold on to except for God. And when we walked out, we're not crushed. And Re and I, I mean, there are times when we seriously felt like we were four-year-olds. When you go and you, you go shopping and you can't even understand how much money to give the lady. And then you realize she's not speaking Russian, she's speaking Ukrainian. But you feel like a child. Everything that I had tried to make of myself, God showed me how to be like a child.
through suffering we share in the death of Jesus. While we were in Ukraine, Ree and I had the awesome, awesome opportunity to meet regularly on a weekly basis with the youth and young adults in our church. And our Russian is bad, and, and their English was a little bit better, so we were able to communicate half the time. And in December, when I was visiting the church in Armenia, um, Re held a party uh, with a couple of the girls where they got to decorate cookies for Christmas and share some of that American culture, you know, fun. Who doesn't like to decorate cookies? But that night, after, um, well, Ree had contacted me, and that night, one of the, the girls found out that her grandmother had passed away. And this was not just her grandmother. This was the woman who had raised her. Because this, when this um, youth, or this 20-something, this college girl was a child, her mother passed away, and then her dad remarried, and he kind of estranged their relationship, and their, her, mother, her grandmother was the one who raised her and her brother. And she passed away. And as I was mourning her, her loss, I realized, though, that, yeah, I have a master's degree. But the Lord, at that moment, didn't call me to teach a class. He didn't call Reed to, to gather some numbers together. But He used us to create an environment of, of loving and caring friends so that when that when that woman cried, she could cry in a trusted community who mourned with her. Just recently, before we came back to the States, Rhee and I had gone out on a date night and she wanted some pizza. So we went to one of our um, developing favorite pizza places that tastes nothing like American pizza and probably nothing like Italian pizza. But while we were there, I just had some crazy thought to order a large pizza. And I thought, oh, why not? It's a large. Let's splurge. I want to eat. Well, we get it back, and this thing was a large pizza. I mean, the medium was probably this big, and the large was like this big. And it, apparently, and it was just a pepperoni pizza, but I think it cost like $20. Um, but please give money. We don't waste money. Um, and so we ate this. And, and actually, um, the funny thing was that night, uh, the waiter said, well, tonight we have a special. We have the large pizza. And then if you pay an extra grieven, which is like a, a dollar, not as much, but if you pay an extra... A little bit extra, we'll make you a, a medium pizza for free. I said, oh, why not? Well, after I ate most of the large pizza, I thought, I'm not going to eat any of the other. We'll just take it home. 
And as we left, um, we, we went and, and walked around the city some, and we met up. Just randomly happened in a city of four million people. Uh, we met a couple of our friends who had also gone out and, and spent some, you know, just hanging out together. And so we thought, well, let's go to ice cream and, and, and we'll give you some pizza. And they said, oh, thank you. Because these were a couple of girls who were uh, and around the college age, 20-somethings. Um, one didn't even have a job and the other was working to support her family because her dad was an alcoholic. And they didn't have any extra money and they said, well, they only had eaten once that day. And in that little thing I knew, you know, I don't know what made me want to order a large pizza or, you know, to order in abundance so that I would have abundance left over. But those two 20-something girls just ate everything. and We had nothing to take home. But I knew that the Lord was in that whole moment. And for me, when the Lord puts us, when we go through trials, our clay jar starts cracking. and cracking, and the walls come down. All the way to the point where we may not even look beautiful anymore. But you can start to see God's glory shining out. And it's at this moment that you realize we're not in despair. We may have trials and temptations, but we're not beaten. And we may share in Christ's suffering and death so that the life of Jesus may be seen in us. And that's what I learned This is my message that I had to learn my first year serving. Was not that this clay jar was going to do work in Ukraine and Russia and Moldova and Central Asia. But I had to be broken just a little bit more, a whole lot more, so that the glory of God could be shown through me. So what does your clay pot look like? Can people see the glory of God through your life? Do you try to keep yourself as as protected and guarded from the pains of this world so much so that that you just want to look perfect so that when Christ comes, He will see the perfect Christian. Or will you let yourself be hurt 
when someone else mourns, will you mourn so that you may go and comfort them? Will you reach out to those that make you unfeel uncomfortable because they may look different, they may speak a different language, they may not even shower? But when they look at you, they may not see your beautiful clay jar. They're going to see God's glory. What does your jar look like? How do you let God shine in your life? Let's pray.